Father, thank you that we can come into your presence, that we can be still and know that you are God. Not a God who's distant and far off, but a God who comes very, very close. So we see revealed in a manger and a stable in Bethlehem. Lord, may that reality stick in our hearts and may it go with us through this Christmas season and throughout the year. May we recognize the incredible gift of Jesus. Thank you so much for this chance to be reminded of your goodness and your love. Speak through, to us through the power of your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joseph Moore was so glad that the Napoleonic Wars were over that he began to write a poem. And as he was writing this poem, he was thinking about the peace that he was having in his country of Austria. He was thinking about the good things that were happening. And and as he wrote this beautiful poem, he didn't have plans for it specifically. A couple of years went by, in fact, and it sat on a shelf in his, his house and he didn't use the poem. Then something happened. Now, Joseph Moore was actually a priest of a Catholic church in Salzburg, Austria. And as he was preparing for his Christmas Eve service, something happened. The river that was ran by his, his church flooded, as it did frequently, and eventually they had to remove it and put a different church in its place. It flooded, and the, as the flood came into the church, the organ was ruined. Now what was he going to do? It was right before the Christmas Eve service. They needed the organ to play their music, to have this special service. And as they were thinking about what to do, he tried to decide what to do, and he didn't know what to do. And then he was reminded of that poem. And he took that poem, and he thought of a friend. His, his friend's name was Franz Gruber. And he said, I'm going to give this poem to Franz Gruber. And he could put a melody to it. He could make something out of this that would be something beautiful for our Christmas Eve service. And so he began to write the melody, a melody that could be played on guitar, that didn't have to be played on the organ since the organ had been ruined. And that night, they sang for the very first time, Silent Night. A beautiful song, isn't it? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. But hang on a second. Remember, this is being sung in a church where a flood has just come in and the organ has been destroyed. And what was it written about anyway? This song, Silent Night, Holy Night. Or what about some of the other Christmas carols that we sing with delight? I mean, what about some of the practices that we have at Christmas? Let's think of a few other Christmas carols. Martin Luther wrote, uh, in, in a way in the manger, he wrote this line, The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Did Jesus never cry? Was, was there, there no disruption in the stable that night? How about this one in the little town of Bethlehem that we just heard? It says, O oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Sounds so peaceful, so calm, so serene. Was that really what Christmas was like? Is that really what Christmas is all about? I don't know what feelings come to your mind when you think about celebrating this time of year. I, I think back to my childhood, times together with family, times around a dinner table, times around a Christmas tree. I think about gifts, I think about presents, I think about joy, I think about peace, and these are things that we should think about. But what is the reality of the Christmas story? We've looked just recently at, last Sabbath we looked at the reality of Jesus' genealogy. And I just want to recapture 
who it was that was in Jesus' genealogy. If we look through Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and we read the people who were there, we read about four particular women. The first one, Tamar. And Tamar's story is one that involves incest and cultic prostitution. The next story is the story of Rahab that's highlighted in Jesus' genealogy. Right? So this is the path to the nativity. This is the path to the stable in Bethlehem. And that path came through cultic prostitution, incest. Then we have Rahab the prostitute who is a Canaanite. Then we have Ruth the Moabite who last Sabbath we talked about there is redemption in Bethlehem even for Moabites. And then we have her who was pregnant, and it doesn't even mention her name, but it says who was the wife of Uriah. Matthew, as he begins to tell us the story of what took place in that stable, he wants us to know that, that there was a messy path there. That, that wasn't all just perfect. And this morning, if your life isn't perfect, I have good news for you. You have a perfect Savior who was born in His name is Jesus. And He came to save His people from their sins. If you don't have any problems, Jesus may not be for you. If you've got problems in your life, if you recognize those problems, then I'm telling you that you have a Savior and His name is Jesus. I mean, let's look at the actual story. And we're, we're just going to take an airplane view and we're going to look at some of the difficult moments in this story. Just look at what happens when uh, Luke chapter 1, and you can pull out your Bible and look in Luke chapter 1 and verse 7. Uh, before Jesus is announced, John the Baptist is announced, and we're told this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 7. It says this about Elizabeth and Zacharias. It says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So, so here we have a really, really well advanced old couple, and they have no children. And that's how Luke starts his story about Jesus coming. Alright, so the first people, Elizabeth and Zacharias, they're old and barren. And then when Zacharias sees the angel, he's doubting, he's scared. But let's keep going. And we look in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. When the angel appears to Mary, then Mary said to the angel, How can this thing be since I do not know a man? What? You're telling me I'm going to be pregnant? I'm not even married. I'm going to have a child out of wedlock? This is unbearable. So we see Mary having a child out of wedlock. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After His mother Mary was betrothed to Jesus before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So we read this and we have it in our Christmas concerts and it's this wonderful thing. And then you, you realize what it's saying. She hadn't been with somebody yet. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. And suddenly the scandal begins. Verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I'm going to just quietly divorce her, put her away so it doesn't make such a big deal out of things. But my fiancé is pregnant and it's not by me. So we see Joseph. He finds out his fiancé is pregnant. Do you see this little town of Bethlehem? This all is calm and all is bright. This night was filled with tension. It was filled with angst. It was filled with stress. And if your life feels like that this morning, I have good news for you because there was a Savior that was born in Bethlehem. Luke 2 verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be 
registered, which also could be so that they would be taxed. Here you have uh, a foreign dictator who's in control of their land. They're under foreign control. They're, they're not living in a free country and they're commanded to go off to another city and Mary and Joseph have to travel that long distance when she's nine months pregnant. It's super unimaginable. And we have some people here who are close to that, that, that stage in your pregnancy. Can you imagine traveling 76 miles or, or 80 miles in order to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Then we see Luke 2, 6 and 7. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in... Sometimes manger gets too easy for us to read. Laid him in a feeding trough. That, that place where cows take their big tongues and, and lick out the uh, food out of the trough. That, that stinking trough that has slobber all over it. This is the place where she had to put her newborn baby. And I, I'm telling you, when, when we went to the hospital and we had our twins, I mean, I was putting hand sanitizer on constantly. Every person who came in the room was putting hand sanitizer. The doctor would put hand sanitizer on on the way in, on the way out. Nurses are constantly trying to keep it as sterile of an environment as possible. And this baby, he's in a stable. He's in a manger. It's not pretty. It's not calm. It's not like the nativity, which is just so wonderful and perfect. And they laid him in a manger because... There was no room for them in the inn. That night we find that Mary and Joseph, they're under a census, they're going to be taxed. There's no vacancy. They're laying their baby in a manger. There's cows around them. There's animals around them. That it, The smell in that place, the flies in that place are not a place that you want to lay your baby. So we'll keep going here and we'll look at some others. The shepherds. Shepherds were uneducated. They, they, they were out in the field in the middle of the night, and when the angel appears, they're terrified. Right? So the people who are responding about Jesus, they're not, they're not the educated people. They're not the, the, the brightest people. They're the shepherds. Then you see Simeon, when Jesus has come to be dedicated, tells us that he's about to die. And he's hoping, waiting, that maybe he'll see Jesus. Maybe after this long life, maybe, just maybe, he'll get to see the Messiah. Simeon's about to die. You look at Anna. She was very old, it tells us. She was a widow. She had years, lived years and years without her husband. I mean, this is not a picture of a happy life with a family. This is a picture of a woman who's alone for years and years. And here she is, one of the few who recognized Jesus. The Magi, they're foreigners. They, they live some at least 400 miles away from where Bethlehem is. And as they come, they come on this journey. You know, we look at it as though these three wise kings who are a beautiful uh, a picture of, of these people coming to see Jesus. But you know in the Bible, that word for magi, the only other time that it's used is in Acts chapter 13 where Paul, Saul and Barnabas come to this city and there's this sorcerer, it says, this false prophet who is the same word, a magi. And they end up, he's struck with blindness because he's trying to distract from their teaching about Jesus. 
Now, as these men come into the city, and there weren't just three of them, there was probably more than that. I don't know for sure, uh, but we don't know how many there were. As they come into the city, they're directed to Jerusalem, and suddenly there's chaos. The city is troubled. They're bothered by it. There's tension in the city. And, and Herod calls them in, and he's a murderous king who got to the throne by murder. And as he hears about this, he says, yeah, go and check it out, and come and tell me so that I can go and worship. And they go alone to Bethlehem. Now here's the thing. These are the people who recognized the fact that Jesus had come. These are the people who recognized who Jesus was. Elizabeth and Zacharias, the, the old and barren. Even though he was a priest, uh, he was still doubting and scared. You have Mary who's having a child out of wedlock. You have Mary and Joseph, uh, both of them who, who didn't have a place in the manger. They had to put the baby in the manger. You have Joseph, who has his fiance, who's pregnant. You have the shepherds. You have Simeon. You have Anna. You have the Magi. These are the people who recognize Jesus. The people who didn't recognize Jesus were the, the priests who came to Herod to tell him where the baby would be born. They were the ones who, who knew the Scriptures the best. They didn't recognize Jesus. Most of the, the wealthy people that were in the in crowd in Israel, they, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. It was sounded all throughout Bethlehem by the shepherds, this amazing thing that had happened, and yet you don't find anybody else coming to the manger. So here's the thing. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of the trials of life, these are the people that you find that recognize Jesus because they have a need in their life. People who don't have a need don't need a Savior. So this morning, I'm here to tell you that if you feel like you don't have a need, ask God to search your heart and to help you to see your need so that you recognize that that, that Savior born in a manger is somebody that you desperately need to come and adore as a Savior a king, and a best friend. All of these people had one thing in common, and that was that the Word of God or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit came to them. And when it came to them, they chose to believe it. They chose to accept the Word when it came to them. Most of the people who heard about Jesus being born didn't accept it, didn't recognize it. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, when, when Jesus... When, when Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that Jesus will be born in her by the Holy Spirit, the angel said, we looked at this last week, for with God, nothing will be impossible. But something we didn't look at here is when it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That, that word nothing is, is our English uh, translation of what literally would be, for with God, not any word will be impossible. Is that good news this morning? For with God, the, the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 3, that, that there was coming a Messiah who would crush the serpent's head, that word will be fulfilled, even though Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. For with God, the promise that was given to Moses that, that there's coming a greater prophet, that word will be fulfilled. The promise to David that, 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 that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever and ever. That promise will be fulfilled. 
Even though there's a mess throughout the history leading to this. Even though there's barren woman after barren woman in Jesus' genealogy. Even though there's harlot after harlot after prostitute in his genealogy. Even though there's adultery and incest and all these things that could have stopped Jesus from coming and being a Savior. Jesus came and was born because not any word, not any promise in the Word of God will go unfulfilled. For with God, not any word will be impossible. So this Christmas, I just want to invite you to say with Mary what we said last week. And I want you to just say this with me today. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's something powerful about that, about recognizing that there is power in the Word of God to transform our hearts and our lives. In fact, this morning, I want you to do something a little different, a little, uh, a little bit of a participatory uh, element in our, our, our service this morning. I want you to pull out the hymnal that's in the, the pew in front of you, this, this brown book, this, this hymnal. Pull it out, and we're going to look at number 835. It's a, it's a reading from Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in, I believe it's like 46. And it's what Mary says when she comes into Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth says, Ah, oh, the baby jumped with joy inside of me because this, the mother of, of, of my Lord has come into the house. And this is what Mary says. And, and as Mary says these words, I just, just want you to think about the wonder of it all, the beauty of it all, that, that God takes the humble and exalts them, and God takes the proud and He humbles them. I'll read the light print, and, and you guys go ahead and read the dark print. Is that, is that clear? Number 835, are we all there? Alright. So this is Mary talking. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he who has mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy to his, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His seed forever. Those who were hungry, He filled with good things. Those who were rich went away empty. Those who recognized their need for Jesus, Jesus came for if you recognize this morning that it's not just all is calm and all is bright, although Silent Night is one of my favorite songs too. If you recognize that, that Jesus came into the midst of the mess of this planet to show you that, that even though you don't have all the answers, even though your life is filled with stress, with pain, with angst, with sickness, that you have a Savior and His name is Christ the Lord. That is good news on earth. That is what can bring us peace in the midst of the craziness of our lives. That's why uh, 
Zacharias was able to say uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 39. He says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. That, that star has appeared to us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. We're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. We're in the midst of angst and trial. We're barren. We're old. We're widows. We're, we're in so much pain in our lives. And yet, there is a Savior who is born and His name is Christ the Lord. And that is good news. That is good news all year long. And I, for one, want to be like the Magi where I, I don't just focus on Jesus uh, at, at this time of the year, but I want to follow Jesus as the guiding light in my life. And like Peter said in uh, in Second Peter chapter one verse nineteen, said this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What would the prophetic word be? Where's the word of prophecy that we have in our lives? It's the Bible. So he says. We have the prophetic word. He's specifically talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. But, but look at it as we have the Bible. And it's confirmed. It, it's been fulfilled because Jesus has come. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. So, so you do well to, to look at it, to heed it, to behold it, to, to immerse yourself in it as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Keep looking and looking and looking at the Word of God until Jesus rises in your heart. And then you can even have peace in the midst of trial. You can have joy in the midst of sorrow. You can know that you have a Savior and His name is Christ Jesus the Lord. Desire of Ages, page 331 says this, those who take Christ at His Word, that they, they, they believe His promises. And they surrender their souls to His keeping. Their lives to His ordering will find peace and quietude. Notice this. Nothing of the world can make them sad when Jesus makes them glad by His presence. You could be in a stable. You can be in a place where there's no vacancy. You can, you can be a, a widow. You can, you can be an old Man, you can be on the verge of death and yet you can have peace in trusting in Jesus' promises. Our lives may seem a tangle. Has your life ever felt like tangle? Like you just can't make sense of it all? Like it just doesn't feel like you read back and you read the Bible and clearly God was leading and doing these amazing things. But when it comes to your life, where is God anyway? I'm telling you something. He's in the midst of the mess. That is always where God shows up. Our lives may seem a tangle, but as we commit ourselves to the wise master worker, He will bring out the pattern of life and character that will be to His own glory. Just keep looking to the light. Just keep looking for Jesus. Just keep looking to the Bible. Not like the scribes and Pharisees who were looking to interpret it as their truth that, that protected their ideas looking at it with the humility of the Magi who say, hey, we'll leave our country, our religion, we'll leave all that behind and we just want to know, where's Jesus? Give me Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, we can really have a night that is calm and bright 
that is silent and holy in the midst of a stable filled with flies with a baby lying in a manger. This, uh, about a week ago, I was uh, talking with a, a, um, uh, at a pastor's group, I was talking with a a pastor of a, a local church. Uh, he'll soon be the senior pastor of the Tascadero Bible Church. And he had twins uh, about a year before I did. And suddenly some of the other pastors, he doesn't normally come to this particular group. And he, some of the other pastors are like, hey, you need to talk to Zach. Zach has twins. He's like, what? You have twins? I was like, he said, yeah. I, I said, yeah. And then he said, how old are your twins? I said, 11 months old. He said, whoa. Whoa, you're in a dark place. <laughs> he said, my wife and I, at the end of, of that first year, we looked at each other and we said, wow, that was a dark year. We're glad that that year is behind us. And I walked out of there thinking, what? What is he talking about? I hold my little girls and, and I, all I can see is light and joy and peace and, and I am so happy. And then, I mean, if I were to dwell upon it, I had never changed a diaper before this year, but I have changed probably close to a thousand diapers this year, maybe more. And I'm telling you that, never mind, I'm not going there. I've had more sleepless nights this year than ever before in my life. I felt more pulled. And, and, and Leah and I were just talking the other day. We didn't think we could be busier. We thought we were already as busy as we could possibly be with church. You can be busier in your life. There's literally not a waking moment where there's not something to be doing when you have twins. Once they go to sleep, there's the house to clean up from what took place while they were awake. But I'm here to tell you that though there may be darkness in your life, though there may be a tangle, though you may not be able to make sense of it, when you have Jesus, you have all you need. When I hold my babies, I don't question any of the pain, any of the the difficulty, any of the sleepless nights because there is so much joy in that relationship. When you have a relationship with Jesus. When you know the baby who was born in that manger. And you know that He's your best friend and Savior and that He cares about your every need. You have all you need. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank You for the gift that You have given us. You've given us, You've poured out all of heaven in the gift that we sing about, that we read about, that we pray about. In giving us Jesus. God in human flesh. And Lord, we recognize that it was a mess that night. It was a mess surrounding it. It was a mess afterwards as they fled to Egypt. And all of it was not picture perfect. And though we paint beautiful pictures of it and we sing beautiful songs, there was a tangle, there was a mess in their lives and You brought infinite and eternal beauty out of it. And Father, I just pray for each of my friends here this morning who are going through difficulties in their life, who may feel like things are a tangle, like they don't have the answers, like they are so much pain. Father, would You fill them with hope tonight? Would You fill them with courage? Would You fill them with assurance and the promises of Your Word? That really, there is nothing impossible with You. 
That not one of your promises will fail. That not any word is impossible with our God. And Father, we want to ask You that You give us a hunger for Jesus that is unquenchable. A desire to come and adore You, not just at this time of year, but throughout the year, that we would have an unquenchable thirst for Jesus in our lives. That it would be what wakes us up in the morning. That it, it would be what we use every moment of spare time to do to just find more of Jesus. Because with Jesus is joy and peace and everything that we need. Now just take another moment in silence and just ask Jesus how He wants to invite you to pursue Him this coming year. Invite Him to, to just give you uh, ideas about when He wants you to, to take time to focus on that guiding light in our lives, the Word of God, so that you, like the Magi, can be led to see and adore and worship Jesus. Just ask Him how He would have you to get to know Him better this coming year. Father, thank You. That's what You desire to give us more than anything else. A hunger to know You. Lord God, fill our hearts with an unquenchable thirst for Jesus and a determination to fix our eyes on You. Though our lives may be tangled, though we may be facing difficulties, that we would continue to trust that not any word is impossible with You. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.